This is Real Estate Rookie, episode 100. Yeah, so in my opinion, there is almost no difference in difficulty between a single family house, a duplex, triplex, and fourplex. Like, yes, you have four units versus one, but it's like a 2% difference in difficulty. I am Ashley Kerr, and I am here with Tony Robinson, and we are so proud today to have episode 100 of the Real Estate Rookie Podcast. This is such a big accomplishment. And what's even cooler, like Ashley and I were looking at the rankings for the podcast before we hopped on today, and we were number 29. I think 29 or podcast. That 20, (laughs) that is such a crazy thing for me, right? Like, you know, to see our name up there with like Dave Ramsey, Gary Vaynerchuk, Amy Porterfield, Brandon, like really Turner, big in the world David Martin, Brandon Turner, David Green. It's just so cool to see the response to the Real Estate Rookie podcast. And it just honestly makes me feel that much more excited to keep this thing going, to make it better for the listeners, to provide more value. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening to us uh, twice a week now on Wednesdays and Saturdays. And we appreciate all of you and love watching you guys on the Facebook group, on Instagram, and just all over the place, getting your deals done and continuously growing and surpassing me and Tony and no longer being rookies anymore. So it's been a real honor and so awesome to be a part of this podcast and to hopefully help you guys uh, become the best investors that you can be. So today we have a very special treat for you guys. We have, drum roll please, Brandon Turner on, and uh, this is the first time we've had him on the Real Estate Rookie episode. We've been saving the best for episode 100, but today, even if you are not a rookie, you should be listening to this because it is so awesome to listen to the foundational skills that a rookie real estate investor should have. And sometimes as you go along in your investing career, it is so easy to forget some of those foundations and some, some of those very basics of real estate investing. So everybody should be listening to this episode. Yeah. And Brandon's written, literally literally written books on how to manage properties, how to buy properties. Uh, But today we brought him on to talk about multifamily. He and uh, Brian Murray have recently released not one, but two volumes of books on uh, becoming a multifamily real estate investor, where volume one focuses more on the small multifamily, uh, and then volume two focuses on large multifamily. And we, we spent the majority of the conversation talking about the smaller stuff, but Brandon just does a really phenomenal job of breaking down why small multifamily is such a great investment class for folks to focus on, how to find those good deals, how to analyze them, and just how to be effective in that space, in that world of real estate investing. It's also a super easy episode because Brandon just knows exactly what we want to ask and goes ahead and answers it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so these books actually are released today. You can go to the Bigger Pockets bookstore and purchase these books too if you guys are interested in reading them. Tony and I actually got them uh, the night before these recordings and I started reading one of them and just awesome, awesome information and very different from the other uh, books that Brandon and Brian have written. So I highly recommend you guys go check them out and make sure you check us out on YouTube to subscribe to our channel where we post uh, videos weekly that are tailored specifically for rookie investors. 
Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent to retirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Brandon, welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast. You have now pulled off the quadruple effect, been on all four Bigger Pockets podcast. Woohoo! His best day of my life. Best, <laughs> best day of my life. I'm pumped. Thank you guys for having me. Okay, give us the quick 30-second overview of who you are and what you do. I'm sure most people know, but there might be that one person that doesn't. Sure. So uh, I actually grew up in uh, Eastern Europe where there was a lot of conflict going on. I'm just kidding. No, I was born in typical Midwest family and I ended up moving out to Washington State and I bought a house and I was like, because of like 2007, 
2006, I guess it was, like they would give anybody with a pulse a house. So I got a house and I rented out the bedrooms and I was like, this is kind of cool. And it was, I was living basically for free. And then I sold it and I made 20 grand and I was like, this is way better than law school, which is what I was studying for. So I dropped all my plans to go to law school and instead I decided to get into real estate, started flipping houses, buying rentals. I uh, got heavily into uh, small multifamily properties, which is like duplexes. Was my, actually, my first rental was a duplex and then, you know, triplexes, fourplexes, five, then about a 24 unit. And now today I've got, I don't know, 2000 ish units total across the country. So it's been a, it's been a ride. And also the co-host of the Bigger Pockets. Oh, oh! <laughs> I also podcast. I also talk sometimes on a podcast <laughs> once in a while, and yeah, that's that's also happens. And I write books, and I got a new book coming out. Yeah, and that's what we mostly want to talk about that today, and how rookie investors can get into multifamily. But I just want to tell you real quick before this episode, you came on to record with us. Tony and I were looking at the podcast charts, and it is just amazing uh, the growth that the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast has had. So, congratulations on that. That's really cool. They tell me that you are growing significantly faster than we are and faster than we ever did, which means that you're going to eclipse us at some point and take over. So I, I fully expect it. I'm waiting for it. We'll take a congratulations when that day happens. Yeah. <laughs> I think the loser, whoever loses to like, I don't know, we'll call it like a billion downloads. Whoever loses to a billion downloads has to get like a nickelback tattoo on the lower back. So whoever loses, gets I think the you're already getting tattoo. that when you lose to Brett on the Instagram challenge. So <laughs> that might be, well, I'm not going to lose. So I won't have it. So I'm, I'm, I'm re-upping this contest so that you guys have to get it. I already have a nickelback tattoo. So I'm, okay, I'm already, we're I won. Then. I already won. <laughs> so Brandon, we're actually here to talk about your newest book, right? You've got a lot of books you, you've written to, to help rookies get started, but we're here to talk about multifamily today, which is super exciting because I, I think if more people kind of understood the different ways that they can get started in multifamily, they, they might just go that way to begin with. So for those of you that are listening, for those of you that are watching on YouTube, we've got not one, but two books on multifamily that Brandon co-wrote with Brian Murray. Uh, volume one is about small multifamily. Volume two is about large multifamily. But if you're okay with the Brandon, we'll, we'll maybe spend the most of today's conversation talking about the, the smaller multifamily since the rookies might, might be able to grasp that a little bit easier. Yeah, I totally agree. And the idea being, by the way, just for those wondering, why is there two volumes? One, because it would be 700 pages if it weren't. <laughs> and two, uh, because well, as we were like trying to break down, like how to get into multifamily and what that looks like, I'd say something like, I don't know, I'd mention like, yeah, you can like manage it yourself if you want to. And Brian would be like, well, there's no way I would ever manage myself. And I'm like, well, if you're going to buy a duplex, he's like, well, sure, if you're going to buy a duplex, but if you're going to buy an 80 unit. And so we started realizing there's two completely different types of businesses here. There's like small multi and large multi. So book one, volume one is all about small multi, which is why, yeah, it's perfect for today. It's like, yeah, the smaller deals, right? Duplex, triplex, five unit, maybe a 10 unit. Uh, and then the other book, volume two, is really about how to like put together big deals, like big syndications and things like that. Brandon, why do you think someone as a rookie investor should start out with a smaller multifamily instead of just taking the big jump and going after the big fish and starting out with a large, huge property? That is such a good question. So there are like, I don't know, you call them real estate pundits out there. They, we could call them gurus, but they, they say you should not start with anything under like a hundred units. You just jump into the big stuff right away. But question for you too, and anybody listening to this show who's ever invested in real estate before, have you ever made a mistake ever on a real estate deal? <laughs> like all the time, right? Uh, when I think back to my early deals, especially, I'm just like, oh, what was I doing? Like I made so many, I remember, it's okay, it's a true story. 
I hope the person who bought this house never listens to this episode. So my very first house I ever bought and I fixed it up. There was this problem and it was like the area was like Western Washington. It was kind of a swampy area that they built into houses at some point back in the 70s. And so the foundation was kind of rough on a lot of these houses. And so this one had a sloping floor that basically rose in the middle of the living room. So from the middle of the living room to the edges of the living room, it was about, we'll call it an inch difference, which might not seem like a lot, but when you're trying to lay down laminate flooring, it's it's way too much. You can't even fit the laminate together. It's just too much of like this bump in the middle of the floor. And I'm like, oh man, how do I fix that? Now, a smart contractor or person who knew what they were doing with real estate would have been like, oh, we go underneath and we just lower that part of the foundation or raise the other stuff up. I'm like, no. No, that's too complicated. So I went and bought like 50 bags of concrete <laughs> and I, I literally like just mixed concrete and filled it in on all the area on the side. I don't know how much weight I added to that house, but now it's a flat floor and it weighs a million pounds and it took me way longer than it would have just been to lower that foundation. Anyway, mistakes, right? When we're just getting started, you don't know what you don't know. So on that mistake, I mean, it was like, if somebody had to go fix that right now, it'd probably be cost them five grand, right? If you were to make a mistake on a hundred unit apartment complex, it might cost you $5 million. So do you want to make your mistakes on a $5,000 mistake or a $5 million mistake? And that's why I think people should start small and then scale. And even if you're not going to be the hands doing the maintenance or doing the rehabs or anything like that, there are still things you need to know about overseeing a property management company or overseeing a contractor that's doing these repairs. You still have to know something. And as you will learn that real estate can be sold as something passive, but it is not always passive, especially if you're going to be the owner of the building and not just, you know, a limited partner on some kind of syndication deal. So I think right there, that was a great example. Thank you, Brandon. Yeah. So Brenna, I, w- I want to clarify something, right? So you, I, I get your advice on why maybe starting with a hundred units isn't the best move for a rookie real estate investor, but do you feel that, say I have zero deals, do I need to start with like a single family residence or can I make my first real estate investment be some kind of small multifamily? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah. So in my opinion, there is almost no difference in difficulty between a single family house, a duplex, triplex, and fourplex. Like, yes, you have four units versus one, but it's like a 2% difference in difficulty. Like you're learning the same thing. It's the same process. Maybe it costs a little bit more to buy the multifamily, the fourplex or the triplex than it would be to buy the single family, but maybe not. I mean, multifamilies are kind of funny in the way they're priced is sometimes houses are way more expensive than multifamily even. So I would say if you're going four, three, two, or one unit, they're all the same. So I would go as large as you can afford because you might as well, and you're likely going to get more cash flow out of the, out of the more multifamily anyway. That said, I wouldn't necessarily go start with a 10 unit. And now all this said, when I say you shouldn't start with the bigger deals, there is a caveat I'll say here. If you can harness somebody else's mistakes, you can bypass that. So this is the way around it, right? So like if I wanted to jump in, let's say somebody wants to jump in and buy a 25 unit property. I've gotten a, a few of that, like that size range multifamily. There's just a lot of things you don't know, specifically how much repairs and maintenance and capital expenditures cost. CapEx, by the way, everyone doesn't know what it is. It's like saving up for reserves for like replacing uh, refrigerators every 10 years or replacing flooring every five years. It's like the money you set aside knowing you have to fix big things. So not knowing how much repairs, maintenance, CapEx, all that cost 
and the other miscellaneous fees like that can cost you tens of thousands of dollars on the bigger deals, maybe hundreds of thousands. So if you can harness somebody else's mistakes, meaning a very close mentor, not like you paid some guru to give you a course, but like a close mentor that you can work with or even better, a partner you can bypass that. So for example, let's say your first deal, you want to buy a 25 unit. Great. Go partner with somebody then who's bought multiple, multiple 25, 50, 75 unit properties. And then they're going to tell you all those things you don't know. And then you can start that level and you can kind of skip a level. It's almost like starting. If you were like playing, uh, remember Mario brothers, like the original Super Mario brothers, you start on level one, move upward. You could literally start on like level five, but you have to go with somebody who's gone through level one to five before. That's like the exception to the don't start small rule or start a small rule. Let's drill down on that a bit, Brandon, because I think everyone's probably gotten the message from, Hey, you know, Tony, Ashley, Brandon, like, I love what you guys are doing. I want to partner with you. Can you please mentor me? Like, how does someone actually find that person that would be willing to work with them and, and kind of mentor them through that process? Yeah, really. It's pretty easy for the low price of ninety nine ninety seven. You can have your own mentor. <laughs> it's really great. You can write your checks to me personally. No. Um, yeah. So it's all built up. I, let's, I love getting rid of the word like networking and getting rid of the word like mentor. Let's just replace those words with like friend, right? Like, so the, go to the question, how do you make friends? And I'm like, okay, let's think about my daughter, Rosie. She's five, right? So what does she do to make friends? Like she goes to a place where there's other little kids and then she walks up to them and she says something like, I like your dress, right? Like she, she adds some value to their life. She builds a relationship with them. The same thing, like adults are the same way. We just get all weird about it. And we're like, hi, will you be my mentor? And then it's like an awkward, uncomfortable situation. Just be like, hey, what are you doing? Like talk to somebody who's done more than you. Now, how do you find those people? Local bigger pockets meetups mainly. I mean, local conferences, if you can find a, a conference, they don't have to be local, but it sure is nice to be able to go out to lunch with somebody. I would not recommend necessarily just be like, hey, can I take you out to coffee and pick your brain for two hours? Because somebody that you want to sit with that's super high level and been doing lots of big multifamily, maybe they don't want to go to coffee. But if you can provide some value, in fact, let me, I'll tell you a story. So Kyle, Kyle was my mentor, so to speak, a friend, as I built my entire portfolio. Kyle was a small multifamily owner. He owned a few single families and he owned a bunch of small multifamilies, sixplex, fourplex, duplexes, et cetera. And so when I first met him, it was because I was painting a house for him. My buddy was, he was, so my buddy was, my friend Adam was renting from this guy, Kyle. So Adam was like, hey, I, I got to paint my landlord's house this weekend. Can you come help me? I was like, sure. So this is when I'm 20 years old or 21. I just bought that first house. So I go over there and I just help him like paint this house. I never painted a house in my life, but I, I wanted the whatever $5 an hour my buddy was going to pay me to help him. And anyway, so I start talking with the landlord who shows up, this guy, Kyle. And I started saying like, Hey, I'm interested in real estate too. Like, how did you get into this thing? Just asking questions. I mean, how'd you buy this? Well, how did you even know where to buy? Like, why did you buy in this area? Just simple questions. And we ended up talking in the kitchen of that house for like two hours as my buddy's outside, like the hot sun painting that house. And we built up a little friendship. And then at the end of the day, after, after doing the job, this landlord guy said, well, guys, I have another house if you want to paint it. And my buddy was like, no, thanks. I'm busy. I can't do it. And I was like, I'll do it. And so I painted the house and this guy, Kyle says, how much? And I was like, I'll do the whole thing for 300 bucks, $300 to paint an entire house, like top to bottom, trim everything. I didn't care about the money, right? I'm trying to build a relationship. I'm trying to add value. What can I do to add value to this guy? Now, interesting thing. I don't think I've ever talked about this before. I'm glad I didn't do it for free, right? We always say like work for free for somebody, work for free for somebody, but 
notice how like working for free for him would have changed the dynamic a little bit. One, he probably wouldn't have liked that. It would have been kind of awkward for him. Like, I don't want to take advantage of this kid. And he probably would have found somebody else to paint his house, right? If I was insisting on. So instead, I just made it a really, really good deal for him. So now it was like a transactional thing. So he paid me a little bit of money and it. I don't know. I just, I just think that there's something valuable that people are always asking me to work for free. And I'm like, I don't know what I would have you do for free. But if they were like, Hey, I'd, I'll build you a website for 150 bucks. And this is nine examples of websites I've built before that are really, really, really good. And this is 10 times cheaper. And you get it elsewhere. I just want to provide value to you. I'd be a lot more likely to take them up on it than a free website. Does that make sense? Have you guys found that? Yeah. Because then you don't feel like you're owing them something yes. either. Yes, in return, like it. maybe a conversation later to help them with the deal is you yeah. don't want to feel like you're owing them anything. And then there's also some kind of expectation. Like if the website really sucks or isn't good, then you can say, you know what? Like I paid them 150. I should say something, but if they did it for free, well, they did it for free. What can I expect? So yeah, I, I can definitely relate to that. And I think with the whole mentor thing is build a relationship with that person and doesn't even, it can be friends. It could be doing work for them, build that relationship with them. I've have someone that's been mentoring me recently and I met him, I think that for the very first time last fall. So it's almost been a year and we were at a couple events together and I talked to him every single time and I made a point of it. And then, you know, eventually a relationship grew and that's when we decided that it would be a good mentorship. I could bring him value and he could bring me value. So yeah, I think that's a great way to put it is to be their friend, build a relationship. So if somebody has a multifamily deal they wanna look at and they have found a mentor what are the things that a rookie investor needs to do before they actually decide to jump into a, a multifamily building? The, the thing I think of, first of all, is the property management. How yeah. different is the property management from, you know, a single family, two family, three family to, you know, a 16 unit? Is there a big difference there? Yeah. So the big difference, and this actually goes back a little bit to the difference between the volume one and volume two of the books that we wrote is because a lot of people have asked, and I even questioned in the beginning, how do we want to define small versus large? And it was like, well, it's large five unit and above. And I was like, well, I mean, the, the difference between buying a five unit property and a four unit property is not very different, right? I mean, I, I like I bought five units, I bought four units. Maybe the financing is a little different. But the approach that you take is very similar. Like you're probably going to manage it yourself. You're probably going to hire contractors that you know from that work on houses. If you're going to hire a property manager, you're going to hire a local property manager that just takes care of it, right? That's a very, a five unit, a 10 unit, a four unit, three unit. It's all kind of the same. When you get into like a hundred unit property or even a 50 unit property, that's a totally different approach, completely different approach. You're not hiring just necessarily the local property manager who's taking care of all the single family houses. You're probably hiring a, a larger asset manager or a national property management company that only does multifamily. Your financing is very different. Your approach is different. The way you run your business is different. Everything's different. So specifically when it comes to managing, it's the approach. If you're going small multi, the approach is either a, you got to manage it yourself, which is not that complicated. I mean, I've written one of my previous books was all on managing, but it is work and it does require systems and processes and people and, and checklists and knowing what you're doing. The fastest way to fail at real estate is just to not know what you're doing and try to jump in anyway. So yeah, the smaller deals you can manage very similarly. It's just managing four tenants takes a bit more work than managing one. Managing 10 tenants takes a bit more than managing four. And those like multifamily tend to require a little bit more landlording. Uh, and I, I don't want to make any like, you know, judgments here, but typically I've found 
that, and I'm going to totally make a judgment here, but people who live in multifamily tend to be a little bit poorer. Like they have less money. And because they have less money, they tend to have more difficulties with things like paying rent. And they may have, they have to decide between paying their rent late and paying their water bill. Like they just, it's the natural course of things. Where if you rent into like a, a high end, you know, $800,000 house, that person's probably a doctor and they're fine. They're going to pay their bills probably no matter what. Now, are there exceptions to both sides of that? Of course. Uh, and there are really good small multifamily tenants and there are horrible single family doctors. But yeah, generally it just requires more involvement. I mean, I once had a fourplex where it was like two units upstairs and two downstairs. And the downstairs person called because the upstairs people, well, actually two quick stories. One, because they were having relations in the middle of the night way too loud. So that was an issue you don't run into with single family houses. They were having just their uh, mom and dad time too loud on the floor above them. And then a different fourplex, or maybe it was the same one, but the other side, the people upstairs were leaving their garbage out on their back porch, like above the lower porch because they're like, you know, top and bottom and maggots were just like falling down, raining down on the bottom people. So you don't get that in like single family either. So definitely more management is is there, but it's not impossible. It's just a system you got to learn. Does that answer that question? Yes, it does. Yeah. And just one follow up, like in addition to that, Brandon, how do you as the landlord manage relations between the different tenants? Like, how do you solve those kind of problems? Like, is that something that you write into to the leases? Do you, is it like a strike one, strike two, strike three thing where you, you kick one of the tenants out? How do you keep the peace when you've got four people, five people, six people living so closely? Yeah, it's a balancing act. I'll say that. Secondly, like I have a lot of now experience with this. So we kind of realize things like, what do you do when a, a tenant has maggots raining down the other one? Like, that you, like you're not going to read that in a book, right? But you, you figure this stuff out over time. That said, so we rely heavily on the lease. So we love making the lease the bad guy, not us the bad guy. That's one of our kind of rules in landlording is everything. everything's in the lease. We have a very good lease and we make sure that like if the tenant, for example, has garbage on their back porch, it's easy to be like, hey, in your lease on this section, on this page, it says you can't have garbage on your back porch. So we're going to need you to get rid of that. If they don't, within like three days, then we'll send them a notice, like a 10-day notice to comply, I think it's called. And if they don't after that, then we could evict them. That never happens. Most people are pretty good about when you call them and tell them to knock it off. Now, sometimes you just have conflict between tenants uh, where this one guy just hates the other one. 90%, this might sound bad, but 99% 99% of the time, those work themselves out without us getting involved. They'll call and complain, and then we'll say, okay, noted, we'll put it in the file. But we don't typically take a lot of action on that stuff initially, unless it's one person clearly has a problem, right? They're parking in the wrong parking spot, or they're leaving garbage out all over the place. We'll deal with those things. But a lot of the personality issues, like I have, that person's just a jerk, and they're mean to me, and they looked at me funny, that kind of stuff. You just kind of ignore it and it just goes away. Like they take care of it themselves, uh, which again, maybe that's a wrong approach, but it seems to work 99% of the time. And I asked that question because I know that one of the things that a lot of rookies get caught up on and that kind of makes them afraid from actually pulling the trigger on that first deal is managing the property and dealing with the tenant. So if there's some, some good tips we can share, I think that goes a long way. You wrote a whole book on property management as well. So people can, people can pick that up if they ask more questions on it. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it's a learnable thing. People get scared away from landlording, especially rookies. They're like, oh, but what if this happens? What if this happens? And I mean, I remember this is how I found Bigger Pockets, right? So Bigger Pockets years ago, I didn't start the company, despite some people think that. Like, no, I came, I came later. Josh started it in his basement. And it was a forum where people ask questions with one another. And I remember typing into Google because somebody, I think it was my dad, said that 
if you get into real estate, your tenants aren't going to be able to pay rent sometime and you're not going to be able to pay us. You're going to lose your property and end up homeless was basically his message to me. And I was like, oh, you're right. I don't know how to do that. So I went to Google and typed in what to do when tenants don't pay rent. And I found like this laundry list of things that could be done if that happens. And, and it was on a little, little tiny forum called Bigger Pockets. And what it told me was like, whoa, there's answers to all these problems. All these like, oh, what are you going to do if this happens? There's an answer to every one of those. Like you're a real estate investor. You're not unique. There are millions of us out there. So it's like, it's like you think you have like this unique problem that's never happened before. No, it's happened before probably thousands of times to different landlords. And when you have the largest real estate investing website where people just talk about that stuff, you figure this stuff out. So first of all, understand like there's answers to everything that you might come across. And secondly, don't manage yourself if you don't want to. I don't think most people should manage. I wish early on in my career, one of the mistakes I made early on was that I ran all my numbers. When I ran the numbers on my properties, I ran it with 0% allocated towards property management. I mean, why would I hire a property manager? I could do it myself, which makes sense, I guess, when you're getting started and my only goal was to get out of my job. But what that does is that locks you into a life where you have to manage in order to make the deal a good deal, right? So I couldn't just all of a sudden add a property. Because for example, I have a property, let's say, that makes, at the end of the day, $150 every month in profit, like in cash flow. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty good. But as soon as I hire a property manager, that's going to cost me 150 bucks a month. Now that property makes $0 a month. And so my financial freedom is dependent upon me being a self-employed entrepreneur, which is exactly not, like, which is the exact opposite of what I got into real estate for. So had I instead accounted for that $150 for property management or whatever it costs, then ran my numbers with that included and then only bought properties where property management was allocated and it still made sense as an investment property, Sure, I maybe would have bought a few less properties, but probably not. I would have just gotten a little better at finding better deals. And then today, I, I would have saved myself five, six, seven years of changing toilets and painting rooms at three in the morning and like dealing with tenants calling me angry. Like I've avoided all that. It's just, it's a, it was a rookie mistake, but it, a lot of people make it. And so it sounds like it kind of started with the underwriting portion, right? Like, had you just included that property management expense in your initial analysis and underwriting of the property, you could have avoided that. And I guess that kind of brings us to my next question, Brandon. Like, when we're trying to analyze multifamily properties, is it a different process than looking at a single family? If so, how and what's your advice for rookies that want to kind of correctly analyze multifamily and not forget some of those important expenses? And Brandon, as you go into that, can you kind of define what CCC is too that you explain in the book? I think that will kind of tie into that. Yeah, let me start with CCC and then I'll move into underwriting because that's part of CCC. So the CCC is a crystal clear criteria. You know, a lot of people get into real estate and they're like, I want to buy real estate. And I'm like, well, good for you. What are you going to do with it? Like, what, what do you want to do? Real estate, right? Like that's like as far as they can think because really what they want is financial freedom. And so it's kind of like if you're looking for a job, like the goal is money. You want to pay your bills. But if you just go tell everyone, I'm looking for a job, everyone's like, well, good for you, right? But if you were like, hey, I'm looking for a job as a uh, medical device salesman somewhere in the Cincinnati area, all of a sudden people go, hmm, do I know anybody in Cincinnati that can help that? Do I know anybody in the medical field that can help them? Right? The more specific you get with your criteria, the more likely people are going to want to help you, the more likely you're going to be able to target the right things you you want. So that's what the CCC, the crystal clear criteria is. It says, let's get real specific on what it is you want so that you will increase your chance of getting it. So the five points of the CCC are number one, what location are you going to buy in? 
And this is in no particular order. There's no like one of these is more important than the other, but you just got to define where you're going to buy down to like the neighborhood if you can, or zip code, not just Cincinnati, but I would say West Cincinnati or West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playground. And so you got to pick your area, right? Location. And then obviously start studying that area. When I say that, I mean like start looking at lots of deals that are on like realtor.com or Zillow. Start going to Craigslist, go to find out what things rent for in different areas. Where are the good school districts? Talk to local landlords in the area and be like, why do you invest there versus here? What do you think about this? Because at the end of the day, today in today's crazy market, it is so hard to find good deals. The way you find good deals today, especially on market deals, is you find them by knowing something that everyone else doesn't know. For example, like, oh, this property, like, yeah, it's only a three bedroom, but it's got a basement. We could add two more bedrooms to it. And I know that in this area, Section 8 pays $2,200 a month for a five bedroom versus only $1,200 for a three bedroom. We can get more than double the rent because we knew that about our area, right? That's a thing you know about your area that nobody else seems to maybe realize. And that's how you find good deals. So anyway, number one, location. By the way, everyone listening to this, take some notes on this because it's important. Number one, location. Number two, property type. What are you trying to buy? A single family? Small multi, medium multifamily, large multi, mobile homes, mobile home parks, townhouses, condos, what it is you're looking for. So define that and get really clear on that. Now I'm not saying you have to say, I want to buy a three unit property because then you're going to miss the four unit that comes up or the duplex. That's why I like to say either you're buying single family or you're buying small multi, two to four or medium multifamily, maybe four to 20 or five to 20. And then larger multi would be like 21 plus. Those are just my quick and easy determinations, but you can define them otherwise if you want to. So number one was location. Number two is property type. Number three is condition. Do you want to take on a fixer upper, like a burr property or a fix and flip? Like, I mean, what do you want to do that? Or would you want something that's just like paint and carpet, like cosmetic fixer? Do you want a full gut rehab? Do you want to demolish it and build new? Do you want something that's already done? Like turnkey is ready to go. Define what you're willing to take on. The better deals tend to be at the fixer upper level, but they also require the most amount of experience, time, and it's higher risk. All right, so next, that was property condition. Let's see, condition, location. Let's see, next one was, uh, I call it profitability. In other words, what makes it a good deal? Define that number. Like I want a 10% cash on cash return. In other words, I want to make 10% the first year on my money. Great. Or 12% or 8%. Like for me, I typically say, like if I was a rookie, I'd be good with like eight, seven, eight, nine percent As an experienced investor, I try to shoot for like 10, 12% today. I try to find a little bit better deals. But in the beginning, getting started is better than nothing. And finally, the last one would be price range. Are you trying to buy a $100,000 property or a million dollar property? So now when you're going at it, you've got a really clear picture of what it is that you want. I'm looking for a small multi in West Cincinnati and I'm looking in like the hundred to $300,000 range because that's about what I can afford for my down payment. And I really want something that could be a cosmetic fixer that I don't, I don't mind getting my hands a little dirty. Now you go to an agent and you tell them that or you start marketing off market like direct mail marketing or something like that. And you're going to have a hundred times better chance of landing a deal because you're so specific with that. All right. So that's crystal clear criteria. Let's shift that over to deal analysis. So when I said profitability, I said something like, you know, right? Like, Hey, I want an 8% return or I want $200 a month per unit. I want every unit that I buy to have $200 a month in cash flow, which I, I would say is generally on the high end for multifamily. But let's just say you want $200 in uh, what I call pure cash flow. And we can dive into that in a minute. But the great thing about real estate is that it doesn't have to be an emotional thing. It's a math game. Every like, Remember this, everybody, and, and like tattoo it on your forehead in reverse. You see it every morning when you wake up. Every property has a number that makes it work. 
every property out there has a number that you could pay, a purchase price you could pay that would make it work. So as an investor, our job is very simple. Like identify what it is we want, go after them, and then work backwards to find that number that makes it work and then make an offer. Like, in other words, define what you want, get leads, analyze them, pursue them. And then most of the time you're going to get rejected. You get rejected. I get rejected. It's like high school prom all over again, right? I get like no's left and right. But eventually I get a yes. I mean, that's how I built my entire portfolio. Small deals, medium deals, big deals. Doesn't matter. I work that same process. So underwriting is, or, or analysis for whatever reason they say underwriting when we get to the bigger deals, it's like got more syllable. So it's for smarter people. Underwriting (laughs) is the process of analyzing a property to find out how much you can pay for it. And so you just, yeah, it's very similar to single family. I guess there's the same things, right? You got your mortgage payment, you got your taxes, you got your insurance, you got repairs and maintenance, you got capital expenditures. We talked about that earlier. You got all these expenses. Now the difference is what those expenses are. I'll give you one example and probably the most important example. Uh, we talked earlier about hidden value, about recognizing hidden value. Here's one of the best hidden values you can get when it comes to small multifamily property. This one tip is going to make a lot of people a lot of money listening to this. Multifamily properties, typically the water bill is paid by the landlord, typically. So if you own a duplex, typically the water bill is paid by the, by the landlord, but not always. The difference is are the water lines separate? The water lines that go each place, are they separate or are they all together combined? If it's all together combined, it's kind of difficult to charge the tenants for water because you don't know how much this guy used versus how much this guy used. Yes, you can split it and tell people they each pay half, but then you get conflicts of like, hey, that guy's running his bathtub all the time and I never, I, I only take quick two minute showers and I don't like dealing with that. It's possible. But if you can separate the water meters on a multifamily property, and then shift that over to a tenant. I have, in my life, I have never seen a tenant make a decision based on who pays the water. In other words, a tenant will choose a place based on the rental price, whether or not you include water or not. There's no difference to most tenants. And it's ridiculous, but it's just a human nature is to compartmentalize all these expenses in their life. So they're not thinking, well, this property is a thousand a month, but I got to pay a $200 water and electric charge. So it's really 1200 or this one is 1100, but everything's included. They're just thinking 1100 versus a thousand for whatever reason. That's how it, what I found over and over and over. So what I like to do is find properties where I can separate the water meters, build that back to the tenant or like have them pay it directly. And now one of the largest expenses is now no longer on you, the landlord. It's now on the tenant, which can add two, three, $400 a month on your small multifamily to your pocket without really hurting anything whatsoever. So that's an example of where the difference between single family and multifamily is knowing things like that, knowing why the water bill is different, knowing if taxes are worked out a little bit differently, knowing that the mortgage payment might be different. Like typically on a larger multi, you're gonna do a 20-year loan instead of a 30. So again, I, I don't wanna like just sit here and plug a book, but that's why like when people ask the difference between why we wrote The Multifamily Millionaire versus just like buying How to Invest in Real Estate I wrote or Rental Property Investing, the book on Rental Property Investing, it's because this goes into those details that apply specifically to identifying and analyzing uh, small multifamily and then larger multifamily. Was that a long enough answer? That was like 10 minute rant, but <laughs> yeah. there you go. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. 
Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. I used to think working from home was the dream, until it wasn't. Between the distractions and the solitude, I was struggling. But then, I discovered Industrious Office, and honestly, it's been a game changer. Every day at Industrious feels like stepping into a zone of productivity. The high-speed internet never fails me during crucial moments, and the workspace? It's not only stylish, but designed to boost your focus and creativity. Plus, the daily breakfast and endless coffees are super cool. Meeting other driven professionals right where I work has not just expanded my network, it's inspired me. It's amazing how being around other focused people can push you to achieve more, you know what I mean? If you're looking for a sign to change your workspace, this is it. Check out Industrious by visiting biggerpockets.com industrious. Then click join now and use the promo code pockets to get a free week of co-working when you take a tour. That's biggerpockets.com industrious and use promo code pockets after clicking join now. Experience for yourself how the right environment can change the way you work. Industrious, it's where your best work happens. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act, a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today.
So do you think there is an option for more value add on multifamily compared to a single family? So some of the things I think of, okay, you said the, the separately meter them. What about even adding garages or charging for parking spaces or storage space in a multifamily? What do you think are some of those value adds that people should be looking at in a property when they go to look for this multifamily, other ways they can make income? Yeah, I mean, there is things like that. Like, I mean, there's the storage, the parking, all that. And I think all that's good. What I like to focus on, though, I'll, I'll explain it this way. So you know how there's A-class, B-class, C-class, D-class areas, we call them? And then there's, I like to say there's A-class, B-class, C-class, D-class properties, which means like, you know, uh, so an area might be a C-class. It's a little bit lower end, uh, you know, a lot of payday loan places around there. Like that's like a C-class. A D-class is where like there's that plus getting shot usually, or, you know, there's like a lot of crime and, and violence and sexual offenders. Then B class is like, oh, it's, it's pretty good. I, I like it. You know, blue collar, maybe a little upper blue collar and then, or even white collar. And then A class is like, there's a Starbucks on the corner. There's a Trader Joe's right there, a Sprouts. It's that kind of, right. Okay. So knowing that we've got A, B, C, and D. We also have A, B, C, and D properties. And then we have A, B, C, and D tenants. And I'm going somewhere with this. So there's quality of your location, quality of your property, and quality of your tenant. I believe that the quality of your tenant is first of all, one of the most important things you can ever do in real estate. Like the better tenant you have, the less problems you're gonna have, less evictions, less drama, more stabilized cash flow. They take better care of your property, et cetera. The quality of your tenant is the average of the quality of your property and the location. So in other words, if you have a C-class property in a C-class area, you're gonna get a what-class tenant? Probably a C-class tenant. If you have a C-class area, but you do an A-class rehab on it and make it an A-class property, like make it just a nice property, you're gonna likely get a B or maybe even an A-minus tenant. You're gonna get a nice tenant because another way to phrase it is even people who live in C and D-class areas, they still watch Chip and Joanna Gaines on HGTV. They still love Fixer Upper. They still watch the Property Brothers. They still want that house with the light gray, repost gray walls from Sherwood Williams. Like they still want that, right? And the great thing is like, to do that level of rehab doesn't take that much money than to just do a normal landlord friendly rehab. It's just, it's thinking through like, what, what do people want? What makes this a, a nicer property? I mean, in fact, sometimes it can be even cheaper, right? Like, like there's, there's things you can do that like cheaper that just work. For example, like using, uh, uh, what are they called? Like those jar Mason jars for lights. Like you hang some Mason jars with a light bulb inside of it. And everyone's like, Oh my gosh, so bougie. Right. But like, it's like a Mason jar. It's like 12 cents. So there's, it's just thinking that way. So to go back to your question, what are things people can do to have additional income? Make your property nicer than all the other ones in the area. And this is where, yeah, there's a ton of opportunity because I would guess 95% of all landlords out there are thinking like, how do I get the cheapest, crappiest possible way I can get this thing done? So if you're just like a little better than that, you're gonna have a significantly better property. So an average, in an area, for example, where I invest heavily, Grace Harbor, Washington, our average unit will rent for, let's say, $800 a month. But if I have a nice property, it'll rent for like $1,300 a month. I'm not kidding. It's that big of a swing difference because they can't get that quality in that location, but they want to live in that location. So they will pay significantly more for a nicer quality property, more than the 50 I'm going to get from storage or the 25 I'm going to get for a parking spot in that area. I'm going to get way more just by doing a good job. And then by keeping those people, because I'm a good landlord, it cuts down on vacancy, which is the silent killer of uh, cash flow. So again, long rant off my soapbox. 
Well, that's why we had you on, so we didn't have to do anything. Exactly. I want to make this easy for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> ask a question, I'll go for 20 minutes. It's good. <laughs> okay, so for the next 20 minutes, can you talk about how do you actually find multifamily deals? You go on realtor.com, you're not going to see 20-unit apartment complexes listed. So where should a rookie investor go to try and find deals or just off-market? Where should they find them? Yeah. So typically uh, you mentioned 20 unit It's actually about the line where I usually see where things shift from a realtor.com. Like if you have a 10 unit, most people are going to list a 10 unit on the MLS with a real estate agent. They probably shouldn't, but they do. That's very common. But you get larger than like 10, 15, 20 units. Now they're going to be doing it in the commercial world. Now commercial world is very interesting when it comes to multifamily because it's the way that single family and small used to be. What I mean by that is this back in the day, let's go back like 40 years, but pre-internet. I was not alive then. I don't think either of you guys were either. So the way that real estate was done is you have brokers in all these towns. So broker Tony and you got broker Ashley work at different brokerages and then broker Brandon. I have the cooler name, broker Brandon. You got the alliteration. (laughs) BB. Yeah, BB. So they call me BB. So broker Brandon, I get this A guy comes into my office. He's, I want to sell my property, my house. And I say, great. And I write down all his details and I put on a piece of paper. And then... If I want to, I fax it over to Tony because I like Tony. So I say, hey, Tony, I got this property. It's for sale now. Do you want to, uh, do you have any clients that want to buy it? But I don't really like Ashley very much. So I'm not even going to send it to Ashley. I'm, it's, it's like, you know, we're just not buddies. Like I'm buddies with Tony. So that's not, that's true. But that's how the world worked. And then the internet changed that, right? So now the internet made it so like everyone's deals just kind of go on the MLS, which is what we call it on single family. And anyone can kind of look at it. Any agent can find any property. Commercial is not there yet. Commercial is still broker. Brandon is going to send an email over to broker Tony and say, Hey, broker Tony, I got this deal. Do you have any clients that want to buy this thing? That's how the the commercial world still operates. Then if it doesn't sell in that transaction, because none of my buddies as a broker, none of my buddies have a client that want to buy it. Well, then maybe I'll go put it on what we call like LoopNet or there's other sites that will list them more publicly, but it's still very relationship based and in some regards, very like shady still. So how do you find them? You build relationships with commercial brokers. That's it. So you find out who are the, who are the top, like the top two or three commercial brokers in your area and just ask around, find out who's doing the most volume, the most sales, the most helping people buy the most of those commercial properties. Sit down with them, interview them, find out your favorite one. Who do you jive well with? Who seems to be awesome? And then have them get you connected with those deals. And that just takes work, takes relationships because those brokers, they get hit up by a lot of people who say they want deals. You got to prove it that you can actually pull it off. So Brandon, I'm glad you said that last point about proving it. So before my partners and I moved into the short-term rental space, we were actually looking to get into apartment syndications, right? We were looking for 50 plus units, kind of like the Louisville area, but we had a very difficult time kind of getting inroads with some of the brokers in that market. And it's for the reason that you said, it's still kind of like a a good boys club where there's a very small, tight-knit community where if you haven't done three or four deals already, it's kind of hard to have them really take you seriously. So what would be your advice? Like as a rookie investor, how can I show them that I'm serious? How can I show them that I'm someone they should actually send one of those pocket listings to? Yeah, that's a great question. So I I like to frame it kind of like, imagine I'm a real estate investor who lives in Maui, who has a podcast and writes books, right? And I also invest in real estate. And some guy comes to me and he says, hey, Brandon, I really want to invest in real estate. I would love to do it. I just want to buy any real estate in the area. I would love to help me find a deal. Will you please? I'd be like, good for you. You know, hey, you know, pat him on the back and say good for you. 
But somebody comes to me and says, hey, Brandon, I'm looking for a condo in Maui. I've been looking for the past few months. Here's like three examples of something that recently sold that is exactly what I was looking to buy. I've actually got a pre-approval already from the Bank of Hawaii. Uh, They're actually going to pre-approve me for this condo already. I got the down payment already saved up. I got 180 grand sitting there ready to be deployed. Can you help me find a condo? Can you point me in the right direction? Which of those two people am I going to take more seriously and have a good conversation with? Obviously, the person who's prepared has proven that they've done all this work and effort up front to, I believe they're actually going to close. Because here's here's what a broker doesn't want. A broker doesn't want to put together a deal with Newbie John, and then Newbie John backs out at the last second. Because that makes broker Brandon look like a moron, right? Like, now I look like irresponsible, and I can't bring a good client to the table. So you've got to convince the broker that you're legit. And that's the way you present yourself in everything you do. I mean, like literally from the car you drive to the way you talk on the phone, to the way your email looks, to the way your presentation looks, to the way your criteria is defined, all of that stuff and the way you've analyzed deals and underwritten, all that matters. Furthermore, if you can get somebody else to vouch for you, like if somebody came to me and said, hey, my buddy Bill is pre-approved, has been looking for months, he's awesome, he's got his numbers down, he wants to buy, can you point him in the right direction? I'm way more likely to help that guy as well. Finally, some of it just comes with experience. And this is why I, another reason I recommend starting with a small multi. Because the small multifamily, you can buy those on realtor.com or you know, you can find them on the MLS. So if you've done three, four, five, six, seven small multifamily deals and you go to a broker and say, hey, I'm looking to buy a 12 unit or a 20 unit, he's going to take you way more seriously because you've come with all of that background and you present it well. So it's really about making the broker feel confident that you are a closer. You can actually make it happen. Now, true story. And then I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys ask another question. <laughs> We struggled with, oh, so I have a company called Open Door Capital. We buy large multifamily properties, primarily mobile home parks, but we're also now raising for a, a big apartment, a huge apartment complex deal, over 500 units that I'm, I'm working on, and also uh, another big apartment deal and some self-storage. So anyway, we buy a lot of stuff. But the first year, we would make offers and consistently get rejected. We would talk with brokers and consistently they would give the deal to other people. Even if we paid more, even if we offered more, they would give it to other people because we didn't have a track record. We didn't have that. But then we got a deal and we got another deal and we got rejected a lot more and then we got another deal and then we got another one. And then we started noticing this trend that all these brokers started coming to us first before they went to other people because we have now established a track record. And now in the past month, I've got more properties under contract. We've got more properties locked up in the past month than the past 15 years of my investing career combined. We have over $100 million locked up right now. It's insane. And it's just coming so quickly. And we get way more of our offers accepted, even when we're offering less than other people, because now we have a track record. So the bottom line is it builds slowly. You got to scale up. And that's why I love starting with small multifamily. If your eventual goal is large, start small right now, get some deals under your belt. Well, congratulations on that. That's really exciting for yeah, you. That's amazing. What's happening in the last month. It's terrifying. Uh, I have- it's, 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 it's terrified. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even, uh, I'm terrified. Yeah, not 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 to one up you, Brandon, but Ashley and I actually have a, a billion dollars worth of real estate we got tied up this I last week too. So. I, knew it. <laughs> I get it. I get it. You guys are just killing me in every in every area of life. I appreciate that. I do have a very recent story that I wanted to share that kind of related to what you just said about building relationships with brokers. Well, very recently, I just started going after commercial deals and I actually found the property and then I brought on a, a broker and 
we had an existing relationship. I had actually bought his dad's portfolio three years ago and his dad had done seller financing for me. So he took me on because he knew that I had worked this great deal with his dad and everything ended up fine. Well, when it came time to put my offer in, I hadn't had to prove anything to the broker that was helping me, but the seller's brokers were not convinced of me at all. I had to get two bank letters uh, stating that I'm financing from two different banks. My one loan officer, he wrote me the sweetest, nicest letter ever. It was like a personal reference rolled into that I could get financing for this. And they wanted pre-approvals, which you don't really see in the commercial side. And they checked out my website. They checked out the podcast. They checked out the, my Instagram. And it was it was like I was vetted. And long story short, I didn't get the deal. The other person's offer was a little bit higher, but it was just really amazing to me. The hoops I was jumping through to try to get this uh, deal done. And it was all those sellers, brokers telling, they were saying like, we before we even give this to our buyer, we want these things. We want to show him. And yeah, it was just really crazy. That's cool. Hey, you know, that reminds me of like another, you mentioned like the guy you bought his portfolio from him. That's another cool thing about small multifamily properties is that typically if you own a small multifamily property, you probably own lots of small multifamily properties. It's not something that people typically just like randomly stumble across buying accidentally like houses are because people turn their house into a rental all the time. But with multifamily, if, if, if there's a landlord who owns a multifamily, they probably own multiple ones. Why is this important? Because it means that every time you talk to a multifamily owner who owns like a property, ask them the question, do you have any properties in your portfolio that you don't like right now or that's causing you drama or a headache? So as you do your marketing, your off-market marketing, or every time you drive by any multifamily in your area, you're like, oh, there's a duplex right there. Let me find out who owns it. Pull up like the Deal Machine app on your phone, which is like a, an app that tells you who owns the property and you can send them a letter right from the app. Like pull it up, find out who it is, call them. Hey, I drove by your duplex and uh, I'm looking to buy a small multifamily property in the area. Do you have anything that's causing you a headache right now? Almost every multifamily owner I know, every real estate investor who owns a lot of property, they have these headache properties that have been driving them nuts for months. They're just, it's not quite enough of a problem for them to actually go list it with a broker, but it's enough of a problem that if you ask them, do you have any problems causing you a headache? They might be like, actually, yeah, I, I do got one, but you probably wouldn't want that. Huh? Tell me more. And that's how you can land more deals. Just that. That's great advice for if you're trying to find off-market deals. I mean, on PropStream or other software, it's so easy to find who owns. Like if you click on one address, it'll show you all the linked properties to their name or their LLC. And then just if you're already buying a property from someone, just ask, uh, are you selling anything else? And yeah, it'll, you'll be amazing how many things come to you. I think I ended up over two years, I bought half the portfolio the first time. And then the second time I bought the rest of it. And there was only, I think, one vacant lot that I ended up not purchasing of his whole portfolio. So it was a great opportunity. That's yeah, cool. That's especially true for rookies, right? Like this is one thing that I think people oftentimes are like, well, I'm young or I'm new to real estate. I don't have, you know, I don't have a lot of experience. Why would an older investor want to like sell me their property? Because you're young and excited about real estate. And they're like, my kids don't care about real estate. Screw them. This, this young and you know, whippersnapper over here, they're all excited. That reminds me of that. You know, they're thinking they remind me of me when I was their age and I want to help them out. And I'll sell my whole, like, yeah, it's such an asset when you're a rookie to be the learner, be the excited person, be the person that's just out there scrappy and young and helping and doing what you can because the older generation, and there's a lot of them right now that are retiring, the baby boomers that own all the real estate in America, 
And you can, you can get seller financing from them. You can get them to sell you their portfolio without real estate agents. Yeah, so much opportunity out there. Yeah, well, Brandon, thank you for giving so much information on how to find uh, good multifamily deals because I, from firsthand experience, I know that that's a, a challenge for people that are trying to get started. What are maybe some of the other downsides that come along with trying to break into small multifamily um, or just maybe having a small multifamily portfolio that you don't typically get when you're working in the single family space? Yeah. So I mentioned earlier the landlording typically requires a little bit more effort and you got to put a little more time into it. Also, landlords are, I know this is a shock to everybody here, but landlords tend to be cheap, right? Like it's like, well, I got to fix that toilet because it's leaking. I'll just get a big bottle of caulk and just like rub it around the outside of the, of the toilet. That'll keep all the water in. And like that never works. It just rots the floor, right? So you, I, I find that with small multifamily properties, especially the repairs that have been done in the past have typically been done pretty shoddily. Is that a word? Shoddily? It is now. And it's shoddy work and it's deferred, a lot of deferred maintenance because the landlords are just being cheap. And it's one of the reasons that they sell their property because it's like this cycle where it just like, gets worse and worse. They don't fix their property right, which attracts a lower quality tenant who doesn't take care of the property right. So it breaks down even further. They don't take care of that. But that same reason why it's a downside of multifamily is also one of the reasons why multifamily has so much opportunity because that's rampant. It's widespread. So when you can buy those type of properties that are struggling and you can go fix that toilet and the floor on the toilet correctly so that the seal is right. Now you just fixed a problem long term that's gonna gonna get you more rent. I mean not that toilets get you more rent, but just as an overall nicer property, there's just so much opportunity there. And then you can increase the rent, which makes the property value worth a whole lot more. And yeah, it's it's awesome. There's a lot of good things there. Well Brandon, thank you so much for coming on today and giving all of us rookies so much value. Can you tell everyone where they can pre-order the new books or order it and uh, where they can find out some more information about you? Sure. So you can get the books, The Multifamily Millionaire Volume 1 and 2 at uh, biggerpockets.com slash store. So biggerpockets.com slash store. So you can pick it up there and there's a bunch of cool bonuses you get when you buy it from Bigger Pockets. When you buy it from Amazon, which comes out maybe a month from now or something like that, Amazon will have it as well, as well as like Audible. But right now you can get it on Bigger Pockets and you get a bunch of bonuses. And I promise everybody here, the bonuses are worth just as much, if not more, than the actual book. I'm not going to go into all of them right now, but there's some really, really cool stuff that I've spent unbelievable amounts of time lately building to add in for bonus content because I want people to buy it quickly and to get it from Bigger Pockets and to change their life with it. So again, biggerpockets.com slash store. And yeah, you can follow me in more places at uh, Instagram. I'm like a 13-year-old girl on Instagram. You've seen me there. I post a lot. Uh, Beardy Brandon. So beard with a Y, Brandon on Instagram. And what about TikTok yet? Is there a TikTok yet? You know what? I, I do have a TikTok. It is Beardy Brandon TikTok. But if you want to see my dance moves, you're not going to see them there. So I, uh, I mostly just post my Instagram videos over on TikTok. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Brandon, for coming on with us. And you've hit all four thank episodes you. now. I guess it's time for Bigger Pockets to create a new podcast now that we're going to do it. Yeah. We need a name for that. Is that like a hat trick? Like, yeah. don't they have a name? Like, when you, or what's the thing the when you win a Tony three. award? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. What's the, I, you got an Oscar, you have an Oscar, you have a Tony, and you have a Grammy. What's that thing? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, There's a thing for that. Mm-hmm. And like the guy from Hamilton, I think, is one of the few that's actually done it. There's a few people who've done it. Anyway, that, whatever that is, I'm that. So, <laughs> anyway, apparently. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thank you so much. We'll talk to you later, Brandon. I'm Ashley at Wealth from Rentals, and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson. We will see you guys back on Wednesday.
Getting started in real estate can be daunting. There's so much to know, obstacles to overcome, lessons to learn, and risks to avoid. It can all be so overwhelming. If you're feeling motivated to invest, but too overwhelmed to take action, here's some advice. Take it one step at a time. And here's some good news for you. The Rookie Bootcamp is starting on May 20th, and Tyler and Ashley will be guiding you through each and every step until you're the proud, confident owner of your first investment property. Through eight action-packed weeks, they'll guide you step-by-step through those first questions, decisions, and obstacles that every beginner investor must overcome. So if you're serious about becoming an investor this year, head to biggerpockets.com step and join us in the Rookie Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.